0: Well, good morning. Is it working? I think I hear her. Awesome. We're in Hebrews 10, so, nope, Hebrews 11. We're not going backwards. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, I'm glad you're here this t- today. This is, this is a good Sunday. It's always good when we gather, but Christmas season is sweet. I love the text that we're in today. Uh, To briefly recap, we've been in the book of Hebrews, you know that. We've been here for a while, and we'll be here for a while. And so I say this um, quite often, so you should know this part. The church has been persecuted. They've been arrested. They've been shamed. Um, They've had their property taken from them. They've been mistreated because they are Christians, Now, in many places in this world, this is exactly what happens still today, where persecution for our faith is very, very real. And Christians are struggling in their faith and going, can we keep the faith? That's what's happening here. Now, we here in America, we don't necessarily experience persecution in some normative, large-scale type way like we read here or in other parts of the world. But that doesn't mean we don't also struggle in our faith. We might not struggle at the moment because we're actually being persecuted for our faith in Jesus, but we do struggle for many, many other reasons at times in our faith. We can struggle because of finances, just where we're at. We can struggle with relationships, with, because of our health. We can struggle because of, of emotional things, like, like depression. We can feel helpless, we can feel alone. Maybe you're without a job and you're wondering, why has God not provided one yet? Maybe you're hurt by other people, by those in the church and going, should I keep going to the church? Can I keep my faith? Is it worth it? And maybe just as you're in this Christmas season, you're reminded by who's not here, by those who have passed, by loved ones who, are, who have um, passed away and that hurt and that pain washes over you anew and you wonder how is this good how do I keep running how do I keep the faith And so so all of that we're we're addressing as we move into chapter 11. And last week, Ozon preached the first six verses of what is called the Hall of Faith. And so this week, we're going to just do the whole chapter, 1 through 40, particularly verses 7 on. Um, And so we're going to just be taking a bird's eye view of this chapter. And so to do that, I want us to make sure we understand the bookends of the chapter, meaning what happened at the end of chapter 10 and what happens at the beginning of chapter 12, so that we understand what this chapter is trying to accomplish. At the end of chapter 10, the author says, you have need for endurance. He says, you're weak, you're tired, or you feel weak, you feel tired, you feel weary, you've been running, you're thinking about shrinking back from the faith, throwing it away, going back to Judaism. And so he says, what you need right now is endurance. And then he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And one thing we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews is that real faith perseveres. So he's saying, you need to live by faith, and enduring persevering faith. And then we come to chapter 12, verse 1. So the other bookend. And now he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race has set before us. So chapter 10, you need to run. Chapter 12, let's run. So something has happened In chapter 11, that has come alongside this weary church so that now they know they're locking arms with the saints of old and they're ready to run the race. They're ready to keep the faith. They're not going to shrink back. And so so as we're coming into this text, this text is meant to strengthen our faith. So if you're here and you've wrestled with shrinking back, throwing it away, this text is meant to come alongside you, to strengthen you, to help you understand faith. And so, really, I have two goals today that I believe that this text is trying to accomplish, and we could say so much. In fact, I really look forward to coming back and spending a whole series in just chapter 11. But I thought if we did that now, we might, we might you know end 2022 still in the book of Hebrews. So, uh, we're just doing one sermon here but we need to come back there's so much in this chapter but two things i just want us to make sure we understand today what is faith and how do i live by faith and so if you're here and you're a christian or maybe you're here and you're not a christian you're just okay i'm i'm willing to check this thing out then today i just want you to understand what does it mean to be a person of faith and what does it mean to live out that faith so those two things what is faith and what does it look like to live out that faith? And so, you know that we stand when we read the text. So we're going to read 40 verses today. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read. If that becomes a little long, feel free to uh, take breaks. We're going to read 40 verses, the entire chapter. And I I just want you just to think through every time we have the words, by faith, By faith, by faith, what is the author saying? Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave them direction concerning his bones. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Father, Father, we thank you for this text. Forty verses that display faith. And Lord, I pray that today we would see what faith is. We would understand it. We would know it. And we would know what it looks like to be a people of faith. To live out our faith. God, I pray that, that everyone here, whether we need it today or tomorrow, that our faith would be strengthened. That our understanding of who you are, that you are good and righteous, the ruler and sustainer and creator of all things, that you are God. And that we live in light of who you are every single day. So, Father, be with us now as we seek to understand your word. May your spirit work powerfully among us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Two things we're going to do. Number one, what faith is. And so we're gonna do what Ozan did last week. He started in verse six, and that seemed like a good idea. So, so we're gonna do the very same thing. We're gonna begin in, vast in verse six, and there's at least three truths that we need to know from this verse. The first one's not in your bulletin. Um, my fault. Uh, number one, faith pleases God. You just need to see that right there in verse six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. If we're going to please God, we will live by faith. So we need to understand, faith pleases God. That's not us figuring out how to please God. That's God telling us how we please him. Okay, we'll come back to that. Number two, faith believes in the God of the Bible. When we read, without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So we're believing that this God, the God that has revealed himself in this word, 66 books, Old and New Testament, that this God is real, that he exists, that he's alive today. Which means then we believe that he's gracious and merciful, that he is love, he is righteous, He's present in all places. He sees all things. He knows all things, rules all things. He's creator, ruler, judge, sustainer, and the savior of the world. That is, this is the God of the Bible. So we believe that this God, the God that this Bible reveals and defines, not a God that we define. Does that make sense? We believe faith is the only way to please him, and it's this God, the God that's described and defined in God's word that we live for. Number three, faith believes this God, the God of the Bible, rewards those who seek him. And to seek God is to obey him. And so faith believes that all who obey God will be rewarded. So faith is actually taking It's grasping on to the very promises of God. In fact, if you go back to verse 1, it's what it means. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's actually the laying hold of them. It's the beginning to taste and to see and to savor the very goodness of what God has promised for us. So the Bible not only defines who God is, but it defines how we seek him how we obey him, how we follow him, so that we'd be rewarded. And so if we're to summarize these truths, and this is what Ozan said last week, and we'll repeat it now, faith is trusting in the promises of God. It's trusting that this God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith, trusts in the promises of God, that if we follow God and, and seek after his word and his promises, that he is faithful to do all that he says he will do. And so, if that's what faith is, if that's what faith is described as, so then what does it look like to live a life of faith? That's where we're going to spend the rest of the chapter, because that's what the majority of the chapter is about. What faith does, or as Ozon said, this is faith displayed. And so we have 17 Old Testament names that are given to us, all to show us what it means to live a life of faith, a life that trusts in the promises of God. And so, that's where we're going now, what faith does. What faith is, we've looked at that. Now the majority of the time, we're looking at what faith does. There's only two things we're gonna look at here. There's a lot we could say, but we're just gonna zero in on two. Number one, faith responds obediently, to God's word. Just think this through. If we believe that this God exists, the God of the Bible, the one who's revealed himself, and that he's given us his word, and that he really is righteous and good, and he really rules everything and knows everything and sustains everything and promises by his faithfulness, by his very namesake, that he will reward us and we will obey him. We will want to obey him. We'll long to obey him. We'll be a people of the word. We'll want to know this word because as we know this word, who do we know? We know God. And what will we know about God? His character and his promises. And so if we're going to live by faith, we must know who this God is. For the more we know God, the more we will know how to obey him, and the more we will look forward to the very reward that he promises to give. Last week we heard that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And yet, faith is never alone, right? Faith produces works. So while we're saved by faith, that faith produces works. And so all throughout this chapter, we see a people of faith obeying God working out their faith and so i just we'll go through at least two maybe three examples number one verse seven look at noah noah built an ark in a desert <laughs> because god said there's going to be a lot of water coming right why did noah build the ark look at verse seven first two words by faith okay now now look by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark. So reverent fear, that would be as an act of worship. He built the ark, but wait, but it was by faith he built the ark. So what we understand is that to live by faith is to live a life of worship to God. So here Noah by faith built an ark and out of worship built an ark. And and don't miss this, while, while Noah's obedience looked foolish to the world, in the end it was the world that looked foolish, right? Don't miss that. We'll see that all throughout this text. In fact, we'll see it again, verse 30. Look at the walls of Jericho. Jericho, a mighty fortress that as Israel comes into the promised land, it is this giant walled fortress that threatens the people of God, and yet God is going to use this as an opportunity to help his people understand this is what it means to be my people. This is what it means to live a life of faith, and so he said, here's the game plan on how we're going to take down Jericho. Get your your choir, get your drum line, get your trumpets, and they're going to lead the way, and you're going to Walk around the building, or walk around the fortress for seven days. And on the last day, you're going to yell, you're going to shout, you're going to blow your trumpets really loud, and the walls will come down. Do you see how absolutely foolish that sounds? Absolutely foolish. And yet, what did God's people do? They obeyed God. Even though they appeared foolish in the eyes of Jericho, in the eyes of the world, faith obeys God. Faith trusts more in God's word than it seeks affirmation from man. To appear foolish before the world as we live by faith is not radical faith. It's called normal faith. And so I I was wrestling with this and, and just thinking about this. We often would say what Noah did, what Abraham did, what they did going into Jerusalem or going into Israel, walking around. That's like radical faith. But what happens when we use words like that? We automatically think there are some who are radical and some who aren't. We think that's an exclusive faith. We think that certain people will live this way, but the majority of us, we're not like Paul, we're not like Peter. We're not like those people who are great people of faith. And so we don't necessarily live that way. But that's normal faith. Every instance we have here is God doing something that only God can do in his power for his glory that often makes us look foolish in the world. But in the end, we see that it's not the believers who are foolish, but it's those who reject God. Do you get So if we come back, when we come back, and we'll do a whole series, chapter 11, the title of that series might just be normal faith. Because this is what it looks like to live out. So don't read this chapter and going, man, that's just amazing, man. Some people can live that way. This is how we all live. And it's not wishful thinking. You get that? Like, When they're marching around the walls of Jericho, they're not just going, well, man, it just sounds crazy, but I mean, maybe, maybe God will do it. Think about it. They already know that God has spoken the world into creation, they know that God flooded the earth by his word. They've witnessed the 10 plagues that have come upon Egypt decimating all of Egypt. They've seen the angel of death come through Egypt, striking down the firstborn of every Egyptian son and yet sparing all the Israelites because they had blood on their doorposts. They've witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They've witnessed the sustaining hand of God throughout 40 years in the wilderness. This is not wishful thinking. This this faith is based upon the very character of who God is and who he's revealed him to be in history and as us today in his very word. So when people say faith is just wishful thinking or it's without substance, no, it's not. Faith is the very spiritually apprehending of this God and believing that he is true, he exists, and he will act. One person said it like this, and I think it was helpful Remember those like 3D pictures where it's like the picture, you gotta like cross your eyes to like see the image within the picture? That's what faith is. Faith is a spiritually apprehending of things that only God does. And only, we only see it by faith. You ever have trouble seeing those things in those pictures? I can't ever see them. And yet when I'm with them, the guy goes, oh, do you see it? Yes, yes I do no clue what we're looking at you know, I've crossed my eyes, looked backwards, everything. I've, no clue. And that's how the world is, as they try to understand the things of God without faith. But when we come by faith, we actually do see God. We're not just saying, well, I think he exists. No, that's, look back at verse 1. The conviction of things not seen. It's the trusting. It's the actually spiritually apprehending and perceiving and seeing that this God truly does exist, which only comes by a gift of God, by his grace. Our eyes are open that we would, through faith, see him. That's what we're seeing all in this picture. And so, uh, it's this obedience that pleases God. It's this this obedience based upon faith is how we please God. When we live by faith, we're rightly recognizing who God is and we're ordering our lives after him. Does that make sense? Um, we, can look at it, we can look at Abraham, but we're not going to do that. Let me give an example instead. Let me just give an example of, of how we live by faith. Let me give a very real and very present example. So, I'm up here preaching at this moment. We're commanded. God, God gives elders to the church, and, and through Paul, we see preach the word in season and out of season. We're exhorted to preach the word of God. But what, why do we do it? Like, what is our hope as we preach this word? Every week, why do you come? Why is it that I stand here with any level of confidence It's because of God's promises in his word about his word. Let me read Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. Just think think about these words. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Not too hard to follow. Water comes down, produces things. So shall my word be. That goes out from my mouth that shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is why I stand here. I have no confidence in my own ability to be able to come up here and say something, but I have every confidence that as I stand and just do what God says, preach his word, his word will go forth and not return empty. That's my confidence. So preaching is an act of faith. I'm trusting in that this God exists and his promises. this word goes out, it will accomplish what he purposes, not what I purpose, not what I just hope is going to happen, but what he purposes and it will succeed. Isn't that good news? This is the reason you should come. Not because of me, but you're coming, you're saying, I know that when I sit under the word this morning, God's going to do a work in my heart. Why? Why do you know it? Because he promises that's what he will do. So I come and I sit under the word of God so that as God's word comes, it is preached, it will accomplish what God has purposed. And we say, "Well, well, will it though? And it shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God's promise. What's faith? Faith is trusting in the promises that God Faith is trusting in the promises of God, that He exists, and that as we obey Him, He will give reward. As we trust in His promises, He will actually act and fulfill all that He has said. Preaching is an act of faith. Parenting is an act of faith. Marriage is an act of faith. Giving of your finances, giving, offering, is an act of faith. Singing is an act of faith. Sharing the gospel is an act of faith. Everything we do in our lives is to be an act of faith. And the way we do that is by coming into his word that we would know him, we would know his promises, and that we would trust his promises and everything that we do. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Why do we cast our anxiety upon God? Because he cares for us. That's his promise. You can cast your worries, your problems, your anxieties, because God says, I care for you. That's his promise. If we do this, we will experience his caring, his shepherding, his provision, his comfort in our lives. All that we do is by faith. And all throughout this chapter, we see that the people of faith, the people of faith respond obediently to God's word because God is faithful to his promises. Do you know that God is faithful? Do you know that? Do you know God delights in rewarding those who live by faith? Let me ask you, what what does your obedience look like? Just think through that. Do you obey only when it's convenient? Do you obey when it only makes sense to you? Do you obey only when it benefits you or makes you look good in the eyes of the world? Hear hear this. Every act of disobedience is because we do not trust in the promises of God. Every act of disobedience just think through that. Think through when you fall into to, to lust, when you fall into lying, when you fall into whatever that sin is It just seems to grab, what are you denying? What are you rejecting? What are you not believing in God at that moment? That's why we need one another. That's why earlier in chapter 10, he said, do not forsake the gathering. Why? Because we need to come alongside one another, encourage one another. And what do we do when we encourage one another? We remind one another who our God is and what his promises are. Every week, this is what we do. We gather to remind ourselves of the very promises of this God so that we would live by faith each week. Why do we do table groups? So we get together throughout the week. We work out this this sermon, and these truths in greater details in our lives for the purpose of living by faith. And when we go, and when we wonder, but is he good? Can I trust in him? And we can come back to the last several chapters in the book of Hebrews, where God has displayed his goodness and his faithfulness. Because over the last several chapters, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and the first half of chapter 10, we've read how God, out of fulfillment to all of his promises in the Old Testament, sent his son Jesus to come so that he would be the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, so he would die in your place, in my place. We call that substitutionary atonement, standing in our place, that we would have forgiveness of sins, and to be our, remember this word, propitious that he would absorb God's wrath on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and have the peace of God. So when we go, but, but is he good? Is he faithful? Can I trust in him today? Yes, because we come back to the cross, which reminds us of God's faithfulness, his goodness, his justice, And that all of his promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see, and we could look at every single example, real faith responds obediently to God's word. The second thing I just want us to see is faith looks forward to a better country. It looks forward to a better country. and We're going to see that means actually the ultimate reward that we have. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are citizens of this world and there are citizens of another world. And what we understand is that when we are saved, that when we believe in Jesus, we become citizens of a a different world, of a better world. And our faith lives in anticipation of that world. So, when verse 8, when God called Abraham, he left his family, everyone he knew, to go to an unknown land. Verse 9 says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. And verse 10 says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God called Abraham, who was surrounded by his family and all that was comfortable... And he pulled him out of everything that he knew. He says, you're going to go over here and you're going to live as an alien and stranger. In fact, look at what verse 13 says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. That's who we are. Why is it that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were okay with being aliens and strangers in the world? Why is it that Noah was, was okay with, being, with not being accepted by the world? Why did Moses, when we read about him, why is he okay with giving up all the riches and comforts of Egypt? Why is it that Rahab, a citizen of Jericho in a walled city, gave all of the comfort and protection and security she had to become part of God's people. Why can the church of Hebrews that's being written to be okay with persecution and suffering in the present? Why can we continue to persevere in our faith today? Like, that's the question, right? Like, how is this church supposed to, now when we get to the end, when we get to the beginning of chapter 12, now we run with endurance. How is it that we're running with endurance? Why are we okay with our present circumstances? Look at verse 16 says, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The word better has played a major role all throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than the angels, chapter 1, verse 4. We've seen that Jesus is a better hope, chapter 7, verse 19. He brings a better covenant. He offered a better sacrifice. In chapter 10, we see that as Christians now, we have a better possession. And now we see we have a better country. Now, remember last week, Ozon, as he preached, he said that Jesus is our reward, right? Jesus is the actual object of our faith. He's the exact imprint of God, the radiance of God's glory, If we're going to know the Father, we need to see the Son. And so he said that Jesus is the reward. But here we're sold, we have a better country. So which one's the reward? Is it Jesus or this better country? And the answer is yes to both. You see, throughout the Bible, when when we read the words country and land or house, It often represents the very presence of God. In fact, let me just give a couple examples. I think these are up on the slide. Psalm 23. You all know Psalm 23. But think about the last verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what? What's the longing of the psalmist? I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where he wants to be. Psalm 27:4. One thing I have asked. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That's what I want. I just want to be in God's house. Psalm 37, 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. All of that, the land, the house, all of those things are pointing us to the very presence of God. The only reason the land and the house of God is good is because why? God's there. So it's both. It's Jesus, but Jesus has provided a place for us to be, the better country, ultimately the new heavens and new earth, which when Jesus returns, he will bring forth with him. But the hope is not to be in the country by itself without God. That's what a lot of Christians think, like I'll have my own house, I'll overlook the beach, it'll be really cool, I'll do my own thing. No, we're, we're only told there's one house in this country, Right? John 14, God's house. house. Jesus has gone forth to do what? Prepare a room for you. In whose house? God's house. Not so you have your own little home overlooking the beach. Like that's the wrong kind of thinking we have when we go, can't wait to get to heaven. I'll do my own thing. No. Go to heaven and we get to praise God in his presence at all times in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's the better country that is laid there for us. It's just the space that we exist in so that we can be in the very presence of God. So when we read Better Country, we need to think, presence of God, Jesus Christ. Not your own little mansion. Don't think that. See, our struggle, and this is our struggle. This is where where we battle every day. That we would love this country more than that country. That's the battle. That's where we struggle. Do I long for that country, the presence of God, more than everything in this world? And Christmas is a great time to test that. And we get excited about the things under the tree, and it's cool, I love the things under the tree, right? Although they're not nearly as cool as you get older, especially with Amazon, like you know everything that's gonna be under the tree. My wife has like opened every gift that came for her already stupid Amazon. (laughs) But I mean, it's just, I mean, like we get each other like socks now. We're like, yes, needed those. Christmas sweaters. Thanks, audio. (laughs) But you you get it. Like Christmas is this time where we start seeing stuff and we got to make sure we get the stuff and it's all about the stuff. And if we're not careful, we actually do only think about the stuff. But do you remember your favorite Christmas present nine years ago? You have no clue. Because all the gifts, all the things of this world actually fade. All of them do. And and, and even the good things of this world will let us down. Nothing is perfect. Even even in our relationships. As a husband, I won't perfectly love my wife. She won't perfectly love me. You won't perfectly love your children or your spouses. As friends, we're not going to be perfect listeners and provide for each other in the perfect way. We, we don't know how to always do that. We fail at times. If we trust in the things of this earth, we will be disappointed. But all of these things, these good things, are meant to ultimately point us to the much greater gift that we have in Jesus Christ. That he has come so that we would have a much better inheritance a much better country and when it's when we look for this country when we long for it when we know that Jesus is the better inheritance and we long for him more than everything under the tree more than the next job better but more than the next paycheck the better relationship or anything else when we long for Jesus more that's when we're okay with our present sufferings But when the sufferings that we feel become harder to bear, oftentimes we're beginning to focus more on this world than on the true inheritance that we have. Think about about how this makes sense. Luke chapter 9. I think this is up there on the slide. It says, this is Jesus speaking. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You can have everything if he lose or forfeits himself. Remember, you can have everything and look wise in the world, but in the end be foolish. Or we can be like the people of faith here in God's word, where often we will look foolish. And yet in the end, we have the better inheritance the better hope. We have Jesus. The church has been struggling. The church has been beaten up. So the author has reminded them, because of their faith, they have a much, much greater reward. And he's pointed them to the host of Old Testament saints that all have persevered as they look forward to the reward. Real faith, trust in the promises of God. Trust. That as we seek him, as we obey him, as we believe that he exists and that he is faithful to all his promises, we ultimately long for that much, much greater reward. And when we do that, that turns whatever we're going into, light and momentary affliction. Whatever pain you're in, I don't say any of this to minimize your pain. But whatever pain you're in, whatever trial you're enduring, whatever suffering you have, it will come to an end. It might be by death, but it will come to an end. But what never comes to an end is the eternal joy of living with Jesus, our King and priest and Savior. Never comes to an end. Faith perseveres through trials because it looks forward to the better country. So I have four additional truths we're going to look at. We're not going to do that. We're going to get two of them. So we're going to look at number one and number two. Number one, we said this earlier, but it comes back now. Faith is a means in which we please God. Earlier, we said that when we live by faith, we're rightly recognizing who God is, and we're ordering our life after him. Listen, you don't please God by heroic acts of faith. You. You please God by believing He exists and He's faithful to His promises. All God says is, is Draw near to me right here. That's it. Just follow me here in this Word. Just believe that I exist. Obey my commands. That's faith. And you will please me. He's not asking us to go above and beyond Scripture. Paul didn't go above and beyond. Peter didn't go above and beyond. Noah didn't go above and beyond. Rahab didn't go above and beyond. Moses didn't go above and beyond. Abraham didn't go. None of the 17 people we read about go above scripture. They just simply said, we'll obey this God. That's how we please God. I think so often we think we must do these incredible acts, or if we just follow God, we love our wife, we, we shepherd our children, we go, we, we gather with the church and we're a light to our, our neighbors and our coworkers. That, Is that really anything great? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. God uses you in great and amazing ways to accomplish His purposes by simply just trusting that as you do what He says, He will accomplish all that He promises you don't have to go create a whole heroic acts list. Just follow God according to his word. That's the first thing. Number two, faith is not about living a perfect life, but about trusting in who Jesus, but about trusting in Jesus who perfects us. Look at verse 32. I found great comfort in this verse and I I hope you will too. So he, he's listed all these people. Then he gets to verse 32 and he says, what more shall I say? In fact, he's like, I've made the point. <laughs> you can stop at verse 30 31. The point has been made. So now verse 32, he's like, let me underline that for you a few times so you don't miss the point. What more shall I say? For time would fail me if I kept going and mentioned Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. But now there's something interesting there, isn't there? Like, do you see the names that he mentioned? Like, this is the hall of faith, and yet I feel like verse 32 is not like that great of a display of faith. Like, when I read these names... I remember Gideon's failure. I remember Gideon going, oh, but God, you got to do this now. Oh, God, you got to prove yourself here. God, you got to do this. And he continually had little faith. Samson is like one of the largest failures in the Old Testament. Man of great strength should have brought Israel to great, um, to, to rule and to reign over the enemies his entire life. And yet, in the end, he has his eyes burned out, and he dies with the Philistines you have Jetbath, who made a promise to sacrifice his daughter. Barak didn't have enough faith to believe in the word of God, so he's like, uh, what's, what's the prophetess' name? Deborah? Thank you, wife. That was awesome. <laughs> Look at that pastor's wife comes right through. So he's like, I won't, go, I won't do what you say unless you come with me. And she's like, well, because of your lack of faith, the victory is going to be given to a woman, not you. So like when I read these, I mean, David's pretty cool. For the most part, he did good. I mean, other than, you know, that time he committed adultery and killed a the person's wife and all of that stuff. Samuel actually, I think, is like the one I'm like, okay, I can get on board with that. He, he belongs here. So what's the point? Like why are these people mentioned? Because when I read them, I remember their failures and faults very quickly and very vividly. But I want you to hear this. God remembers our faith, not our faults. Do you hear that? We we are quick to remember people's faults. And we we can do that really poorly where we, we hold people to them. And so often, and I know some of you, you're paralyzed by the failures that you've done or done, things been done to you. And you wonder, can I please God? Would God still want me? Can I do anything that honors God anymore? Because when I look at my life, I see failure, 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 failure. Or I see things done to me in shame and guilt. I just go, what more could I do? There's no way that my list of good things outweighs all my list of bad things. Either I've done or have been done to me but the message of Hebrews is that Jesus died so we'd be forgiven of our sins so God remembers your faith not your faults Ten seventeen, God said I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more do you believe that have you ever struggle with assurance of faith? I think chapter 10, verse 32 is a beautiful reason why we have assurance of our faith. Because these people, who there's a lot of faults listed on them, which in reality is no different than you and I. If they have assurance, if they're listed in a hall of faith, then what we remember is that when we come to God by faith, He is pleased and that's what he remembers because his son Jesus has shed his blood that that blood would cover our sins so that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. Isn't that good news? Like let that be your assurance because God keeps his promises. And if you look at the very last verse, Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be perfect. That word perfect just refers to the totality, I believe, of all that Christ achieves for us. His salvation, the salvation we have, um, being sanctified, ultimately being glorified and living with him forever. And what we see there, look at verse 39. All these, Old Testament saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. The, The ultimate fulfillment. Why? Since God has provided something better for us, what's that better? Jesus. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. No one in the Old Testament, no one in the New Testament is saved apart from the work of Jesus. It's Jesus who perfects us. You don't perfect yourself, you don't earn your way to God. Your, your abilities, your strength, your resources, they don't make you qualified to serve God, nor do your weaknesses and fears disqualify you. Faith is what God calls us to do. Just simply believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith, trust, in the promises of God. Because in Jesus Christ, he has saved us, he has qualified us, and he promises that we will have the better country with him that's the faith that we have I'm going to pray and the team is going to come forward father father we we praise you we praise you that you have saved us by your grace through faith even the faith that we have is a gift of your grace and that we are qualified to stand before you not because of anything we have done but by your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, shed his blood for us, that we could be forgiven and live for you. So God, I pray. I pray that everyone here knows that to live by faith is to simply know that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. And I pray that we'd be a people who seek you. That we obey your word, And that we long for your return, the better country, the time when your son Jesus returns and we will see him face to face. Lord, may we not be distracted by the things of earth. May we use them. May we appreciate them. May we be thankful for them. But all the things of the earth, may they move us to ultimately worship you in the face of Jesus Christ by faith. In your name, Jesus, amen.